0: Uh, good morning, Grace Point, here and online. Could you uh, greet those around you and say, Good morning, men! Merry Christmas. <clears throat> we, uh, we love Christmas around here, not just because of the season and all the fun, but also because of what it means. Before I begin today, um, I just wanted to give our church some important information. Uh, if you have ever watched the TV show back in the day called MacGyver, or the young MacGyver that came out um, for a while, Recently, um, he has ability to fix broken things with uh, unique uh, instruments like duct tape, bailing wire, wire, and paper clips. We have been doing that with our audio system for a very long time. And it is absolutely because we've been praying as a, as a, as a, a worship team and staff that God would not allow our system to crash on a Sunday morning during our services. It has crashed on Sunday morning's way in the early mornings, but it has been crashing, crashing. So we, as a church, because of generous people who just faithfully give their tithes and their offerings, we were able to put, we're going to put a major, major investment into our audio system. So um, I need your prayers. We can thank God for that. It is a huge answer. we, we, we try to get on the calendar as soon as possible. They're going to come starting tomorrow. Um, so we're, it is a it is pretty a major overhaul. Uh, I need your prayers for that. The that, that system will go in great. A lot of, lot of technicalities and details. But just want to let you know um, in the room and also online, next Sunday morning most likely we'll have a portable sound system. So uh, pray for ask for your grace and understanding. Um, online we are doing what we can to have like a Facebook live or a live uh, uh, U- YouTube on our YouTube channel, but it won't have all the cameras and stuff. It's going to be very, very basic for online um, because our whole system is, is you know, under wraps. And it needs to be ready by Christmas Eve services. So, So we need prayer for that as well. So I'm thanking God for his provision, thanking God for his um, just so many who are generous and they're giving. But uh, this, is a, this is already a crazy stressful time. It's been on steroids. So pray for our team as well. We're at a Christmas series called The Dividing Line. When the birth of Jesus came, it was the dividing line of the human calendar. It separated B.C. before Christ and, and A.D. of the year of our Lord. Starting, you know, with the birth of Christ. And this season, we're looking at the prophecies that were given toward the Messiah, the coming Messiah. The prophecies in the B.C., or the Old Testament, and that were fulfilled in the A.D., in the New Testament. So, we're unpacking that. We started last week, gave you the timeline and all that. Last Sunday, um, here's what we talked about. was that the birth of Christ marked the moment. I was the only one that remembered. Let's try it again. The birth of Christ marked the moment when darkness was invaded by the light of the world. Changed everything, changed everything. The true light that gives light was coming into the world, John says. Go ahead and turn to John chapter one. This is our base passage for this Christmas season. And the theme of our Christmas Eve services is the light has come. The light has come, thus the new song that our team just wrote and in the process of producing. So thank you, great team. Today's message, though, is quite different than last Sunday. It's it's titled this. It's Fulfilled Rejection. Fulfilled Rejection. One would think that when the Messiah had been promised, 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 and then finally showed up on the scene, that a, a Messiah would be greatly applauded. But the opposite has taken place. So in John chapter 1, John's trying to describe the indescribable. We pick up in verse 9, he says this the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, though the world was made, and, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Jesus would describe it as being born again, born again. So let's look at uh, verse 11 a little more carefully. It says, he, Jesus, came to that which was his own, meaning his own people, the Jewish people. But his own did not receive him. His own did not receive him. And so that's that's where we're at. But this was prophesied. This was prophesied. So... um, Go ahead and the central point is, I'm, I'm, no, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on, on track. Okay. The central point is this. The Old Testament predicted this. It predicted that the coming Messiah would be rejected. Jesus was and still is rejected today by most Jews. Most people for sure, but specifically his own people still to this day have rejected Jesus, redacted Jesus. Now, it says that they did not receive him. They did not receive him. The the Greek definition of that is to join oneself to, to associate with. To join oneself to, to associate with. Meaning, they did not receive him as the Messiah. In fact, we talked about this in the spring. Jesus' own brothers and sisters did not receive him as the Messiah until after the resurrection. But before that, they mocked him. They, 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 you know, made fun of him even. In Nazareth, his hometown, his neighbors, his distant relatives, his close relatives rejected him as Messiah. But this was predicted. This was foretold in the Old Testament so here's one of the passages, Psalm 8, 118, it says this, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The stone that the builders rejected, the religious leaders at that time, they rejected him, but Jesus has become the cornerstone of our faith, of our faith. Now, after... Jesus died, was buried, rose again, then hung out for a while, then ascended back to heaven, and the church started. And the church started, well, these people now, they, they were believing that Jesus did, was telling the truth, and they have proof and the church began to grow and explode. And they didn't have their own place. They didn't have buildings yet. So they gathered in Jerusalem. They gathered at the temple. Because that's what they grew up as little boys and little girls and Jewish families. They went to the temple. And one day, Peter and John were walking to the temple... And they saw a guy they had seen all of their life almost uh, begging outside of the temple because he was crippled. He was lame. And he was asking for money. Peter and John stopped and said, we don't have money. We don't have silver. We don't have gold. But what we do have, we want to give to you. And Peter looked at that man and said, rise up and walk. And Peter grabbed his hand, lifted him up, and for the first time, Either in his life or in decades, his legs worked again. In fact, he started jumping, probably high-fiving before high-fiving was invented. And he was jumping around. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And everybody saw this. The word spread like crazy. And it went to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees said, whoa, whoa, whoa. What's going on here? So they gathered you know, with the Sanhedrin, it's like the religious you know, Supreme Court back then. And they said, we want to talk to Peter and John. They brought him in. Instead of being excited about this guy who had, they have seen before crippled, who was no longer there because he was no longer crippled, they asked him, they said, by what power and by what name did this happen? Great question. Peter answered. He says, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Peter doesn't mess around. Peter is black and white. He cannot spell gray. This Jesus whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the, he quotes this prophecy. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And still from that point on, the resurrection on, The cornerstone of Christianity, the cornerstone of faith in Jesus, it's everything that hinges on Jesus Christ. That's where the power comes from. That's where the the salvation comes from. That's where eternity and heaven comes from. It all comes in and through Jesus Christ. Well, Peter wasn't done talking yet. Next verse, he said, by the way, salvation is found in no one else no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Talking about our sins. He's the only one that paid for it. He's the only one that proved it by rising again. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. But Jesus was still rejected. Then, and today, we're going to look at four reasons Jesus was and still is rejected. Four reasons. Now, I'm prim- primarily going to talk about the Jewish people today. Lots of studying in the, in the last couple of years on this. But the same principles apply to many people who still reject Jesus. Now, I want you to have a copy of your Bible, turn to Isaiah 53. If you have a hard copy, it's kind of in the middle to the right. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. It was written 700 years before Jesus' birth, and it was, is so accurate and descriptive, especially this chapter of Jesus fulfilling every single prophecy in this chapter. Every single promise, pro, uh, prophecy Jesus fulfilled. In fact, it was so accurate, scholars said, surely, this was you know, before the 1900s, the, the, this was surely written after the, the, the fact. This was after Jesus came. This was after he died and rose again. Because it's so accurate, and then the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in the 1940s I think, forties or thirties, which proved no; these things were around for hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ was born. Now, prior to come, Jesus coming, the last part of chapter fifty-two and all of chapter fifty-three. Jewish rabbis referred to this passage as a Messianic prophecy passage, meaning this is talking about the coming Messiah. This, is all, this was, this was common, commonly taught prior to the birth of Jesus Christ. Then when Jesus came, was rejected, went back to heaven, he prophesied that, that the, the Jerusalem temple, uh, the you know, the kind of the, the, the epitome of Judaism was going to be destroyed. And in 70 AD that happened. Rome came in, they crushed uh, Israel, destroyed the temple. Not one stone was on, it, on, on each other. It's exactly what Jesus uh, predicted. And, and Jews were killed or scattered all across the globe. And the, one of the reasons why Christianity took off so much early on, in Jerusalem was one, many people had seen Jesus' resurrected body, but also many Jews saw Jesus, heard Jesus, then looked at Isaiah 53 and said, this, this is absolute fit. But as the, nation, as the nation of Israel were scattered, as God prophesied in Ezekiel, there, in many places, Jews will huddle together because of persecution and Christians and Christian Jews and non-Christian Jews, non-Christ followers uh, who Jewish, were Jewish would live in harmony together. But whenever Jesus came up and Isaiah 53 came up, then tension arose. Conflict happened. In the Middle Ages, there was a rabbi called Rabbi Rashi who came up with the brand new interpretation of this messianic passage, he says, in fact, it's not a messianic passage. This doesn't apply to the coming Messiah. This passage in the last part of chapter 52, and specifically chapter 53, does not apply to the Messiah anymore. It actually applies to the Jewish people as a whole, that they were being persecuted by the Gentiles. So it was a brand new invention of this chapter. Sometime after that, in the Torah, the Jewish Bible, we call it the Old Testament, they would have daily readings in synagogues around the globe, still to this day. And it's, it's a schedule, and they read this portion, the next day they read this portion, next day they read this portion. And sometime some after Rabbi Rashi had a new interpretation of Isaiah 53, they called it the forbidden chapter, they still call it and refer to it as the forbidden chapter today. They, they, the comment has been made, videos that I have seen from Jewish rabbis, that, that Christians have, a, have taken, have stolen our chapter and applied it to Christ. So in their readings back then, even today, they'll read up to the very, almost the very end of chapter 53. Then the next day, they start on chapter 54. They don't want Jewish people reading this at all. And here's one of the biggest reasons why Jesus was rejected then and rejected a lot today is this, is that, whoa, 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 our Messiah doesn't die. The thought of a Messiah dying to the average Jewish person today is just like an anathema. It's like, no, our our Messiah doesn't die. No, he's coming back. To set up the, the you know, Jewish kingdom and defeat all of our enemies. Our Messiah doesn't die. So let's look at chapter 53, verse, verses 5 through into 10. But he, not a group of people, but specifically a person, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities or sin. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. That is describing, he died. He's no longer a part of the land of the living. Why? For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death though he had not had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth yet it was the lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer and through the lord makes his life an offering for sin that he died he was buried A couple verses later, it says, now he was part of the land of the living again, meaning he was living again. See, the Jews then and today uh, are confused on the coming of the Messiah. They didn't understand that there's two parts to the coming. The first coming of Jesus, his birth and his death and resurrection, was all about helping us have peace with God. Jesus is the one that makes peace. You and I have peace with God, Romans 5, 1 says. Because of what he did, he took our iniquities, he took our sins. He was crushed for our sins. And when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, scripture says now we have peace with God. That is why he came the first time. That is why we celebrate the light has come. Because we are in darkness spiritually. Our sin had separated us from God. And the light has come. The second time he comes, Jesus is not messing around with an angel, I mean a manger, and shepherds, and a cute, you know, swaddling clothes. No, he's coming back on a white horse, his robe dipped in blood with his name, King of kings and Lord of lords. And he's coming back to take care of all the wrongs and make them right. And the purpose of his second coming was peace on earth. Peace on earth. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Sorry, that's not a Christmas Song We'll sing it, but it's talking about the millennial reign of Christ leading into the forever reign of Jesus Christ. Well, peace on earth will finally, finally, finally be realized. So the first offense that people have about Jesus is that our Messiah doesn't die. The second reason why Jesus was rejected then and today is that Jesus was a blasphemer blasphemous. He had the audacity to heal people right before he healed them. He said, your sins are forgiven. Man, the Pharisees, Sadducees lost their religious mind. No one can forgive sins but God. Jesus says, what's easier, saying your sins were forgiven or healing this guy? In fact, let me heal this guy right now. But Jesus was also declared a blasphemer because he he declared that he was God. John chapter 10, from the words of Jesus, Jesus said this, I and my Father, God the Father, are one. You've seen God, you've seen me, you've seen my Father. They lost their minds when Jesus said that. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, um, um, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? Do you going to stone me because I healed the blind? Are you going to stone me because I, I healed the lame? Because I healed the leper? This is what they said. We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy. Because you, a mere man, claim to be what? They were not confused. That's why they picked up stones. We have to stone this guy because he's a blasphemer. Years ago, I was watching uh, a debate, you know, this this channel that, that was brought in, you know, two sides of an issue and you hear from both and kind of debate. It wasn't crazy hostile, but it was intense at times. And I remember turning it on and early on, uh, I see that there's a pastor, a very well nationally known pastor uh, that's still serving today. He was on one side and then, a professor of New Testament studies was going to debate. And I'm thinking, how, how come a, a pastor and a New Testament professor, uh, you know, what, what's the conflict? And the question was, who is Jesus? He asked the pastor first, who is Jesus? And he replied, Jesus is who he claimed to be, the Son of God, the incarnate God, meaning God in the flesh. And the professor was asked, well, who is Jesus. He responded to the pastor and said, I have found nowhere in the New Testament that Jesus ever claimed to be God. I am now yelling at my TV. Have you ever done that? I'm yelling at my TV. How can you be a professor of New Testament studies? Obviously, you have never read it. Jesus didn't hide it. That he was the son of God. I my father are one. So one of the biggest hang-ups for people even today was they can't make the the faith leap over was Jesus God? Good teacher. I'll give him credit for that. Did some good things, I'll give him credit for that. But God in the flesh a lot of people they they hit a wall and they can't get over that wall. The third reason why Jesus was rejected then and even still today is that Jesus challenged their teachings and traditions you see the and in, in in the torah there's mosaic law there's all these laws can't do this can't do this got to do this got to do it this way well over time the traditions and the commentaries of rabbis continue to grow, grow grow and grow and grow. By the time Jesus came here, the traditions, you know, of the rabbis was this much and the Mosaic law was this much. And Jesus always fought against these things. I mean, what, there's one time that, that uh, they, Jesus was with his disciples and the Pharisees came up and they were offended. Oh my goodness. And they said, Jesus... Your disciples don't even wash their hands before they eat. I'm saying, that sounds like my mom when I was at home, all right? And it wasn't just cleanliness. No, 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 no. It was according to the traditions and the fathers. You had to have an open hand, closed fist to properly wash your hands in circular motion like this. And they weren't doing that. They weren't washing their hands according to the traditions, and Jesus mocked them, said, ridiculed them, and says your your hearts are far from God. Jesus had no patience for their traditions. Now he he, he never went against the Mosaic law. He came to fulfill the law, fulfill the law, and he did, and he did. Jesus was uh, reamed by. How you had the audacity to heal somebody on the Shabbat, on the Sabbath. I mean, Jesus went to the pool of Shalom, and there's this man who had been crippled for 38 years. He's by this pool, he's an older man now. Jesus went up to him and says, Do you want to be healed? And it's like, Duh. He's like, Yes, Jesus healed him on the Sabbath. And he stands up, and Jesus says, Take your mat and go home. The man was overjoyed. Didn't even know who Jesus was, the name of Jesus. And that man got in trouble with the religious leaders because he was carrying his mat. See how crazy these traditions were? Jesus was rejected because he hung out with sinners. I'm glad he hung out with sinners because I'm a sinner. Jesus hung out with tax collectors. I won't make any IRS comments. But Jesus is ch- still challenging people's interpretation, their interpretation of God's Word. And it's challenging. It's debatable. In fact, Jesus was very clear giving the definition of what a marriage is and what genders are. Today, that. It's like, whoa, whoa. I just just go with what Jesus says. And it's controversial. The fourth reason why Jesus was rejected then and still today is because their hearts were and are hardened. Hardened. Even when the facts were right in front of them during the time when Jesus was literally on the earth. Jesus... um, you could join me in John 11 if you want to. John 11. Uh, Jesus had a really close friend by the name of Lazarus and his two sisters, very, very close to them. And they, his sisters, Mary Martha, came to Jesus. He was near Jerusalem. They just lived around the corner. And they said, Jesus, Lazarus is dying. Please come. Please come. Because they've seen miracles. They, they've seen the healings. And they just like, we're super close, tight. And could you come? Lazarus is, is dying. And it says in the New Testament that Jesus waited several days. And then word came to him that your friend has died. So Jesus then went to Bethany and he went there and he saw his friends and there was mourning and wailing and it was very sad and and there was a massive crowd gathering around and there was friends, families, neighbors and Jesus was already being followed by the religious leaders. They're like what's going to happen here? What's going to happen here? Jesus cried with his friends. I love that verse. Jesus wept. He knew he was going to heal Lazarus. But he knew Lazarus was then going to die again. But he loved on his friends who were hurting. Then he goes out and says, where is he buried? And, and where, where is the tomb? And, and one of the sisters said, Jesus, no, 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 no. It's been four days now. In the King James Version it says, and he stinketh. I mean, it's like, man, the odor's nasty, Jesus. He's been dead four days. Jesus says, where is he buried? crowd comes in. And Jesus yells, Lazarus, come out. Everybody looks to the the tomb. All of a sudden they hear shuffling on the floor and the dirt. And they're like, what in the world? And out comes Lazarus still wrapped in dead man's clothes. He couldn't see. I mean you're talking about, you know, something's on the movies, all right? It's like, whoa. And they're like, oh my goodness. And Jesus goes, Take the dead man's clothes off of him and let him go. And it says, many believed that Jesus was the Messiah. So how do the Pharisees respond to that? In verse 47, then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing? They asked. Here is this man performing many signs if we let him go on like this, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up, you know nothing at all. You do not realize, listen to these words, you do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that of the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God, that's including us even today, to bring them together and make them one. So from that day, from that day on, the Pharisees plotted to kill Jesus. Oh no, we're not gonna just arrest him. He needs to die. And And the high priest had no idea he was prophesying that one man would die for the world. Their hearts, I mean even the facts were right in front of their faces, but they refused to believe. So if you have friends, you have family members, you have neighbors, coworkers, that their hearts are hardened toward the gospel and they look at you kind of strange, it's okay. Don't stop praying. God is the only one that draws people to repentance. Don't stop praying for them, don't stop stop sharing if there's an opportunity to, to brag on Jesus, brag on Jesus and what he's done for you. Don't stop inviting him, you never know what it will take for someone to say, you know what, I think, you know, I've never gone to church or I'll never, I've never gone in a long time you don't know what they're dealing with, and maybe that's the invitation to actually walk into a place where they hear the gospel. But keep inviting, keep praying, keep loving. Don't argue with them. Don't debate. I've never seen anybody debate it into eternity. But the dividing line of not only our calendar, but everywhere on earth is Jesus Christ. It all started with his birth. But the Old Testament, they, the, the B.C., prophesied that the coming Messiah would be rejected. And it was fulfilled in the New Testament. I love what John said. He came to that which was his own, his own people, his own family, his own neighbors, his own nation, but his own Did not receive him. Did not, I'm not associating with you as the Messiah. Yet to all who did, and to all who are still doing it today, who receive Jesus, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The good news is, is that prophecy, not only in the B.C., but also in the A.D., prophecy is saying that in the end times, there will be a massive revival in the land of Israel. In the Great Tribulation, God is going to call out 144,000 Jewish evangelists who weren't following Jesus. Then they came to faith in Jesus, and they go to their people, and God springs forth this massive revival. Now let me tell you what's going on today. I follow a number of YouTube channels that are Messianic Jews trying to reach other Jews, even their families. And God is doing something in these Messianic ministries in the land of Israel today. Most, most, here's a familiar story. I grew up, we were never to read the New Testament because we were told the New Testament was anti-Semitic. And the New Testament hates Jews. Then they have a chance to read the New Testament for the first time, and they find out in Matthew, the very first of the New Testament, is a genealogy list of Jesus and his family going all the way back to King David. And here's a here's a, here's a common phrase I'm seeing in all these videos: men, women, young, old, saying, "I didn't know Jesus was Jewish. Everybody's Jewish." Matthew. And then another phrase is but then I look at Isaiah 53 and that's the Messiah and they're coming to faith. The October 7th massacre, terrorist horrific event has shaken this nation. And these messianic ministries are saying they're experiencing more Jewish people in the land of Israel today are now more open to discussing Jesus than ever before. Out of great pain, the light has come for them. So are we living the last times? I believe so. I don't know. I'm not going to give it a date. I don't like being wrong. But God's doing something. He has and is and will. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you that your word declares even uncomfortable things that the Messiah would come and be rejected. Makes no sense. For all that Jesus said and all that he did and all the miracles, all all the raising of dead people and healings and many people right there, it was right in front of them, but their hearts were hardened. Even today, hearts are hardened about Jesus. I pray that you continue to draw people to a saving faith place their faith in Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah who came the first time and is going to come again. Thank you, Lord, in your word it says, there is coming a day where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus indeed is Lord. And Lord, we ask you to use Grace Point Church in the area that you've placed us to be a beacon of the gospel so that people can hear about Jesus, meet him, learn about him, and then follow after him. Lord, even use Christmas Eve services for your glory, for adding to your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.